0: able to see how quickly sin can ensnare us. We can see where lust comes from, where sin comes from. Uh, we'll be able to see the right way to do things and also the wrong way to do things. We're going to see how to make things worse or how we can make things a bit better in our lives. But as you read through 2 Samuel 11, I don't know how many of you, when you watch a movie, you begin yelling at the TV audibly, right? Trying to say, stop it, right? Don't go any further. And you're trying to stop the people in the television to stop doing what they're actually doing. And as you read 2 Samuel 11, especially if you have a love and a bond with David, we can find ourselves yelling at the pages in our Bible saying, David, what are you doing? David, where are you going? And this is a great warning to us because God's word warns us that if we think we're strong in a certain area, if we think that we're above a certain sin, it warns us that we'll be quick to fall in those areas. And there may be some of us here that we think certain sins are just beyond us. I would never fall to X, Y, or Z. And yet almost every month, right, sad news, you see a different church leader, a different pastor falling down, stepping down, right? Because they have chosen Sin instead of choosing the things of God. And these are men greater than us. I believe it's Proverbs 7. It warns us that many men, greater men, stronger men, more spiritual men than us, have fallen to this sin and to many other sins. And with this, we'll again see the importance of the power of the mind and how we need to guard our minds and follow what the Lord has for each and every one of us. I do feel for the 6th graders here, 7th graders, right, and the parents. But just some statistics. Someone was joking with me. He said, we always go over this topic of the new school year. Why is that? I don't know. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. But here's some legitimate statistics, right? It says, according to a recent report by BBFC, 75% of parents believe their child has never encountered pornography. But of those children, 53% had reported that they had, in fact, seen pornography. So 75% of parents polled, they said, oh, my kid would never have seen that. 53% of that 75%, their kids had indeed seen um, those images. According to research by the NSPCC, of the adolescents who had been exposed, 28% were exposed by accident, 19% were unexpectedly shown pornography by someone else, and only 19% of them searched for it intentionally. Again, family, the day and age we live in Each of us, right? Anyone here not have a cell phone? We pulled this with the young adults and we were zero, right? Anybody in here not have a cell phone? Right? One or two, right? Three of us, right? Almost every single one of us, we have that device on us. And oftentimes, it's coming looking for us. It's hunting us down. It's an ad, it's a commercial, it's a television show. If you're at the barbershop, I don't know what happens at the salon, right? But if you're at the barbershop, different places like that, this evil is being shown everywhere. According to the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families, this is 2010, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography was a problem in their home. So this is, again, 11 years ago, 47% of the families And there's so much problems with this, so much implications. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 40% of people identified as sex addicts lose their spouses. 58% of them suffer considerable financial losses. And 33% of them lose their jobs. 68% of divorce cases involve at least one party meeting a new person over the internet. And 56% involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 64% of Christian men, I hope this isn't our church, right? But 64% of Christian men and 15% of the Christian women that were pulled by covenant eyes say that they watch pornography at least one time a month. 51% of male students and 32% of female students first viewed pornography before their teenage years. So again, it's a, it's a problem within our nation. It's a problem within our world. And again, parents, I love you dearly, but if you think your kids are above ever seeing this, just again, look at the day and age we live in. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah kind of has nothing on us and where we are at as a nation. Now it's, right, uh, I think it's Gonzo now. Gonzo now, he has his own gender problems, right? Gonzo, Muppet babies, right? Are you kidding me? Um, Another dear brother of mine, he's shopping, taking his kids down the toy aisle, and there's a Thomas the Train set that's in rainbowed colors in the middle of Walmart and Target. Again, they are hunting our children down. They are looking for them. And if we think that it's not going to come at them, we have to be prepared. We have to strengthen them. And of the men here, right... I don't remember the last time ever I've spoken to a man that has told me they have never struggled with lust or pornography or any problem like that. And as we hit this topic, I know it's a sensitive topic. It will be pretty quiet here. I'm not coming here from a throne of perfection. Before I came to the Lord, I was in a relationship where I was having sex before that. Before that, I struggled with pornography, struggled with pornography. Glory to God, you can overcome it. We are overcomers within the Spirit, but we have to put the light on it. That's with any of our sins. When we try to handle our sins alone, and first God comes in grace, we even see with David how the Lord handles David and his sin as privately as he can. The Lord wants to do that. But sooner or later, if you're his son and if you're his daughter, he loves you too much that he will expose it. At first, he's going to try as privately as he can with you. But if you're in ongoing sin, an ongoing sinful relationship, and you're living in this sooner or later, your sins will find you out. A couple scriptures on this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. We should turn there. Again, very important scripture When it comes to this, right? many of us were told God, he doesn't see any sin different than the other. He doesn't judge any sin more than the other. And this is true. All sin separates us from God. However, there are sins that have greater consequences than others. And especially when it comes to sexual sin, there's a certain stain that always stays with us. There's a certain stain that stays with us joking around, I think, maybe make things a little bit of light, right? There are certain pastors I love dearly, but I could talk with them even today, and I could say, you did drugs before you came to the Lord, didn't you, right? And they'll say, yeah, 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 right? And there are certain stains that will stay with you, right? Maybe it's too much drug use, you burnt a few of the brain cells, a few that you had, right? But the Lord still wants to use you, just like He uses me, or as reminded of, right, Corinthians, how He uses those weak things of the world to confound the wise. But there's a Stain That stays with us when it comes to sexual sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, it tells us, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee, run from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, what we should be doing is glorifying God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, the Lord, he's created sexual intimacy. He created male and female. He gave us the right plumbing for each other, right? That's the way that he's done it. But now our world has twisted that from whether it's the sexual revolution in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then it's just continued to get more and more perverted. When you get home, read Romans 1. And you'll see the history of the United States over the past 60 years. And that's where we're at today, where we've just been given over to a debased mind completely. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, you can just write that down. I barely got through this with the young adults, and then I added more scripture. So I don't know how this is going to work. But Genesis 2, verse 24, it tells us, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife... And then there's the same thing that we read in 1 Corinthians. And they shall become one flesh. Again, this is the purpose of sexual intimacy. It's for you to be cemented in your relationship with your spouse. But however, now when we begin to do this with multiple people or multiple images, we are cementing a certain part of our soul and our spirit to people that we're not married to. And doing things in a way that God has not intended Again, man marrying his wife. Again, the whole gender sin is answered in Genesis 2-4. The man is to leave his parents to be joined to his wife. Jesus, he doubles down on this in Matthew 19, verse 5 and 6. He says, for this reason, he's quoting Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So again, for us, it should be case closed. Within Christianity, it should be case closed. When it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to marriage. There's no confusion on those scriptures. So for us to be grounded, and right, we we spoke about this on Sunday, our goal should be, Lord, I want to be obedient to your commands, and I want to do what's well-pleasing in your sight. We talked about that opens the door to our prayer life, where then our prayer life is sort of unhinged, and now we can ask more and more from the Lord because we're going to be asking things that are according to his will because I'm being obedient to his commandments, and I'm seeking, Lord, I want to do what's pleasing in your sight. Now what the sin do? Sin causes us to do what's pleasing in our own flesh or what's pleasing to the world around us. And if we go down that path, the wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. The wages of sin, it's always death. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I wish we had time. In chapter 10, you, we would have been able to have seen that God is trying to warn David and give him a lesson. In chapter 10, it's one of the first times ever where we see David not a part of a battle that's going on in his nation while he's alive. And Joab, he goes to the battle. The enemy doesn't even fight them. For whatever reason, the enemy runs away, flees from them, then gathers more troops. The, the news is told to Israel. And then that's when David gets up, gathers his mighty men of valor, and then they clean house with the Ammonites and with the Syrians, I believe. So God was there trying to teach David a lesson that David, you need to be in the battle. Joab is great. Joab is incredible, but David, this is who I've made you to be. I've designed you to be a warrior. Before that we see David, his desires to build God to build him a temple. He sees, again, the, the heart, the love of David for the Lord. He sees that God is in a tent. He sees the incredible home he has, and his desires to build God a temple. But the Lord says, that's not who I've made you to be. You're not a temple builder. You're a warrior. You're my warrior. And that's how I'm going to use you greatly and mightily. See, the problem here for David, it all starts off in verse 1, that it was the time when kings go out to battle. During the springtime, I don't know if any of us can relate to this, but the springtime in the Middle East and in Israel was the perfect time to go to war. It wasn't so cold that they would have problems keeping warm. And it wasn't so rainy where the chariots would get stuck in the mud. So everyone, I guess, would agree to go to war in the spring. And this was the season for kings to go to war. This is the season when warriors would go to war. And who was David? The king of Israel. Who was David called to be? A warrior for the Lord. And yet, where did David decide to stay? Back at home. Back at home. Family. Comfort will kill us. Comfort will kill us. And the one thing that our world is screaming more than ever is comfort, 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 comfort. Do whatever is comfortable. Do whatever is easiest. I've seen more Christians post things like this. Right? We see our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. They're being warned, get out of the country or we'll kill you. And they're saying they're going to stay. And yet we as believers, it's not you guys, you guys are all here, right? But other Christians say, Wednesday night, I'm too tired to go to church, right? I can't handle it. What do you mean? Get out because you're going to kill me. I don't want to go because I'm too tired, right? And are the comforts of our nation, they've crippled the church to a certain degree. And it will be the same thing within our own walk with the Lord. If we begin choosing comfort, I'm going to go to less services. I'm not going to serve. I don't want to go to that retreat. As we choose comfort more and more and we're not doing the things that God has called us to do, you will find yourself in a problematic position. Because that's exactly what happened with David. If David would have been where he was supposed to be, where God had called him to be, he wouldn't have gotten into this problem in the first place. In Galatians chapter five verse sixteen is a great scripture for us, right? If anyone here desires to not fall into temptation as often, or not to give into the lusts of the flesh as often, Galatians chapter five verse sixteen. We'll go there in a moment, but uh, in Galatians five sixteen it says, "Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh." Again, family, if we are doing what God has called us to do, then you're walking in the Spirit. And it's going to be so much more difficult to fulfill the lust, fulfill the desires of the flesh when we are walking in the Spirit. You see, a great reminder to us is that sin does not rise up suddenly and out of nowhere. That's not what happens. It always slowly but surely leads us there. It's not the first time you skip church that all of a sudden everything explodes, right? It's just a slow but steady easing and comfort and easing and comfort. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in places you never thought possible. I don't know when was the last time you went to the beach, right? But when it's a really windy, really breezy day and the current's kicking and you're there playing, hanging out on the raft, right? You got your unicorn floaty and you're relaxing in the beach, right? And all of a sudden you look up and you say, where am I? My stuff is gone. Someone stole it. No, it's that the current has taken you out. And the same is true with us in our walk with the Lord. If we are not focused, if we're not walking in the Spirit, we will slowly but surely be pulled away. Let's go to James chapter 1 verse 13. And here James, he gives us the biblical perspective of where does sin come from? Where does temptation come from? How does this all start? How does this all begin? James chapter 1 Verse 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Where do temptations come from? They do not come from God, right? I think we've heard that in the workplace or with friends where they see a beautiful person say, oh, Lord, why did you do this? Why did you bring her in front of me, right? Uh, uh, Someone leaves a a wallet with $500 in it. Oh God, why did you do this to me? No, that's not the way it works. Do not blame God. They do not come from him. He may allow them so that we could see where we are truly at. He's going to allow it to reveal to David and show him where he's really at and to who we love more and to where our allegiance really lies. He allows those temptations to come up. Because sometimes we think, of course, Lord, I love you. I love you, I care for you, but then a temptation arises, we give in to it, and then is revealed the thing we really love most, our sin, our flesh, or the Lord and his word. Where is our allegiance truly? To this world, the people around us, or to the Lord? Charles Spurgeon, he says, Satan tempts, God tries, but the same trial may be both a temptation and a trial. And it may be a trial from God's side and a temptation from Satan's side. Just as Job suffered from Satan and it was a temptation, but he also suffered from God through Satan, so it was a trial to him. Verse 14, it continues in this progression. God's not the one that causes temptation. It says, but instead, where does temptation come from? Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires And enticed. Temptation begins within our own heart. That's where temptation starts. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's no one's fault. Temptation starts within our own heart, right? Jeremiah tells us our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We're not to trust our heart, our sins are our own. They belong to no one else, and they are not because of anyone else. Our sins start off within our own hearts. We are drawn away not by someone else's desires or the world's desires. We are drawn away by our own desires. We have to take ownership over it. A.R. Foul said, he says, the cause of sin is in ourselves. Even Satan's suggestions do not endanger us before they are made our own. That's why each of us, we have different struggles. Each of us have different temptations. They start off within our own hearts. And since Adam and Eve, we've passed the blame. We've passed the buck. My parents, too mean. My parents, not mean enough, right? I grew up, I had too much money. I grew up, I didn't have enough money, right? We, we've all been there. It's because I went to a private school. It's because I didn't go to a private school, right? We've, we've all been there. But it starts within our own heart. That word enticed It's speaking of a fishing lure. It's when we have taken the bait, when we have chosen to take a bite out of something that is fake, something that is looking like the real deal. That's what a good fishing lure looks like. It looks like the real fish, right? They say match the hatch. You're trying to match the actual fish that that bigger fish actually eats. That's why you don't go fishing and you stick a radiator and you throw it out there, right? And say, I'm going to get this huge fish. There's no fish that looks like a radiator. That's not how it works. And it's the same thing within our own heart. That there's certain desires that God has. There's certain desires that God has placed within our hearts. But we need to wait and do it according to God's commands. Satan, he'll try to give you the peace. Through following other people, through drugs, through alcohol. God has that peace for us, but it can only truly come... From doing his will, from being obedient to his word, that's where we get that peace from. But we try to get it by other means. Same thing with sexual intimacy. God has created it. God has made it. And that's for one man, one woman, once they're married, and he wants you to have that. But we try to get it in our own thing. We go after the fake thing. And the moment we go and we take a bite out of that lure sin has conceived that's what it says in verse 15 then when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown brings forth death do not be deceived my beloved brethren again we need to be careful we sometimes think sin is like something way down the road i'm not there yet there's various levels of sin It's not just one thing, oh, that's sin, right? If, If I do X, Y, or Z, then that's it. No, the road leading up to there, there were many decisions that were made that were sinful, that were missing the mark, that you weren't trusting in the Lord. John chapter 10, verse 10, it gives us Satan's mode of operandum, right? Mode of operation, I think that's the M-O, right? That's what it stands for. And it gives us Jesus's, right? And why he's here. John 10.10, it tells us the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus has come, that we would have life and that we would have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Again, if you're here and you're going fishing, you're doing so not to take the fish out for a ride. That's not how you go fishing. That's not how you throw the lure down in the water. Oh, I want to bless the fish, right? Right? I want to take care of him. Now you're doing it so you can eat. Or you just like the sport, right? That's what you're doing. You're doing it for yourself, for your own desires. That's the same thing with Satan. When he throws that lure, it's not to bless you. Sin can only kill. That's the only thing that sin can do. It can do nothing else but kill because the only thing Satan wants to do is to steal, kill, and destroy. On the other end of that, what's the only thing that Christ can do for us? Give us life and give us that abundantly. It may mean death to our flesh. It may mean death to our sinful desires. But in the end, that breeds life and more life and more life and more life. And then in verse 17, he tells us, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Again, family, I hope you get this. The good things in life can only come from God. The good things, the great things in life can only happen when we do things God's way. Whether it's marriage, whether it's parenting, whether it's our work habits. The good things can only come when we do things God's way. We go out of God's will, the only thing that can happen is the opposite of life, which is death. Again, Satan lures us with the fake version or with the wrong season, the wrong timing of what God truly desires for each and every one of us. And you see this fall of David, right? And we have to be careful with that. I was listening to different pastors and their their name, right, their title for their teaching and it's so true i heard one pastor says the title for second samuel chapter 11 is david's sexual sin there's no other way around it it wasn't a fall it wasn't a fair it wasn't a slip it wasn't a oopsie it was a desire in his heart for years and years and years in deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 16 and 17 We see that God here already had made a rule. God showed what was the correct way for the king of Israel to live. And in Deuteronomy 17, verse 16 and 17, there were three things that God says the king of Israel is not to multiply. He should not be multiplying these things. The first thing was horses. The king of Israel should not just trust in the size of his army. He needs to trust in the Lord. You think of the history of Israel, right? Think of Joshua, how he overcame a a great city of Jericho by getting his steps in, right? That's how he overcame Jericho, walking around each and every day. How did Moses and Joshua, how did they win their war? By Moses having two guys hold his arms up, right? And that's how they defeated a nation. So God wanted their trust to be in him and not in the horses. Another thing that God warned them not to multiply was silver and gold for himself, The king of Israel shouldn't be the king of Israel just to make more money, right? Isn't there wisdom there for our leaders, right? They shouldn't just be in there to make more money and multiply more money for themselves. And then what was the third thing? They should neither multiply wives for himself lest his heart turn away. And this is where David fell. From the beginning of his kingdom, right at the beginning of his reign, he began to multiply wives And we have to be careful. Some of us, we may be doing things that are unbiblical right now. And we look around and we say, there's no consequences. I'm doing something unbiblical. The Bible says not to do this, but Zach, I've been doing this for years and I've had zero consequences. So did David up until this point. But the problem for us is when we begin to give into a lust, when we begin to give into something that's unbiblical, it's never quenched. It's never filled. It's only going to want more and more and more and more. That's what happens within our heart when we give into lust, when we give into sin. It's not that it gets filled. It's that it has a greater hunger, an unquenchable hunger for more and more. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 42 and 43, we can turn there real quick. We can read it together and see the... What our minds think. See if we get any reaction here. First Samuel 25, verse 42 and 43. Beautiful chapter. Beautiful love story. Abigail, she's married to a bonehead, right? I think I heard a wife say "Amen," but wouldn't maybe not right. She's married to a bonehead, right? And seems like there's no way out of it. He's mocking the king. David's going to come and kill him. She stands in the gap. She protects her husband. She doesn't talk bad about him. She doesn't gossip about him. She protects her husband. David says, you know, I'm not going to kill him. The Lord in his judgment ends up killing Nabal. And then Abigail comes to David. Beautiful love story, right? Beautiful novella here in 1 Samuel 25. And then in verse 42 and 43 it says, So Abigail rose in haste and she rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. She didn't show up in the chapter at all. It's just out of nowhere, David's like, yeah, I'll I'll take two of those, right? That's basically what David does. He's like, you're there, and there's two types of cookies, and you're trying to decide, you know what, I'm just going to take both. That's what it seems like David did here. But this habit, this lust that he had, he did not check it at the beginning. And it slowly but surely deteriorated his heart and his stance on this commandment that God had given him. We don't have time to go there, but in 2 Samuel 3, verse 2 through 5, it shows us the many wives and concubines that that David had. Ahinoam, Abigail, Mekah, Haggith, Abital, and Eglah. Several women bearing different kids, different sons, different daughters, and it only caused problems within his life. We often think, hey, I'll just give in a little bit here and everything will be okay. I'll, I'll, my lust will be quenched and it will be all over with. It's the opposite. The more we give into to it, the more it will grow. Again, I challenge the young adult ladies. Same with the ladies here. If you're dating someone here and they're... In sin, in pornography, or they're in another relationship, put that relationship on hold. If they can't be faithful to you while you're dating in the courtship, that's not going to happen later on. And if you're here and you're married and that's going on now, man, you got to deal with that. We read that stat, right? It's like 60-70% of marriages where pornography is in the home, it leads to divorce. It's not that they're just going to be filled or satiated on one end and then the maid's going to make the relationship fight. No, that desire is only going to grow. Alan Redpath, he says, As I think of what happened, of this I am sure that it did not happen all at once. This matter of Bathsheba was simply the climax of something that had been going on in his life for 20 years. One wife, then another, then a concubine, then another. And this it even grows to the point where what happens with Solomon, right? David, he had, I think, 10 to 20 wives and concubines. Solomon, he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. The lust is never satisfied. There's also a great warning to us as parents. I was talking about this with Chris, and it always scares me. The things we struggle with as parents, if we don't address them, our kids, it's just going to run rampant in their lives unless the Lord does grace and mercy. But you see it time and time again. Hophni and Phileas, their dad, he didn't really cut things down. He didn't really hammer things down for the Lord And sin, it just ran in their lives. And you see the same thing here with David and with Solomon. David was able to handle it to a certain extent where his heart was always for the Lord. But his son couldn't. And all those wives, it drew his heart. It drew Solomon's heart away from the Lord. So for us as parents, be careful when we use our freedoms. Instead of saying, Lord, what is best for me, my family? And Lord, what is ultimately going to bless you? How can I be obedient to your commandments? Lord, how can I be obedient? How can I please you today? I told you we're going to go to Galatians 5. Let's turn there now. Galatians 5 verse 9. Galatians 5 verse 9 it tells us a little leaven leavens the whole lump a little leaven just a little bit of sin if we allow a little bit of sin if we give into our lust just a little bit it's going to mess everything up it's going to mess it all up why does he tell them this because in verse 7 and 8 he tells him you ran well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion does not come from him who calls you you were running well you were doing well with the lord what happened they allowed a little bit of sin into the camp and it never just stays a little bit it just grows and grows and grows i think we've all been there right i'm just gonna have one oreo it's it's just gonna be one it's just gonna be one right i just i just want one chip just give me one chip right Just one, and depending how much we struggle with gluttony, right? I'll just have one slice of pizza, right? I'll just have one steak, right? That's where it goes off for me. It goes off the rails, right? But for each and every one of us, we think, I'll just have one. And when we give in to that lust, it just grows. Again, the relationships, we're blessed. So many marriages, so many kids, so many guys and girls dating here, courting here within the church. Don't give in, not even one inch. Because you're always going to want more. That's just what happens. Ask any guy here. They're always going to want more. Whether it's in a game, whether it's in war, whether it's in the bank account, whether it's in sexual intimacy. They are always going to want more. That's how God's created us. So within that season that you need to abstain, make sure you're abstaining. Then verse 16 and 17, we read verse 16. We'll read it again. Galatians 5. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish that's why we need to be walking in the spirit what are we doing with our free time are we serving the lord are we in our bible what are we watching online i was thinking about it today so much of social media it's called a feed right it's like a direct IV into your arm, into your heart, into the lust and desires of your life. What are you feeding in there? What are you sticking straight into your mind that you're lust and you're going to desire more and more? Because if you like conspiracy theories and that's all you watch on there, that's what you're feeding into the veins, right? If it's lustful things, that's what the feed, that's what the algorithm is going to be giving you the whole time. If it's clothes, right, if it's this, that, that's what it's going to be feeding you the whole time. So for us, what we should be doing is walking in the Spirit. It's going to make life easier to not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Why? Because the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These two entities within our soul are battling against each other every single moment. Every single moment. These two entities are within us and they're at war. And whenever we use our time to feed one We're starving the other. And whenever we use our time and our energy to starve one, we can feed the other. That's why we have to be careful because if we're just sowing to the flesh and sowing to the flesh and sowing to the flesh, you're giving him more and more ammunition to come against the spirit. That's why maybe you're here and you're doing well with the Lord. You haven't struggled with that sin that so easily ensnared you for years. Build up more walls today. Feed your spirit even more today. Don't just say, you know, it's been good. I'm doing great. And then what are we talking about? Comfort, cruise control, it always kills. So again, if you're doing well with the Lord, continue to bulk up that spirit. Continue to feed. Continue to study God's word. But if we're giving into the flesh, right, a little bit of laziness, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it's going to overcome the spirit. Back to 2 Samuel Chapter 11, right, we, we read it was the time when kings go out to war. Another thing to note from verse 1 is that Samuel had left all of his brothers. All of his brothers, all of the guys that he lived with, the men that, he, that gave up their lives for him. He was away from all of them. He was alienated from all of them. Again, who are you running with? You're not supposed to be running solo in your walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to be with your brothers or with your sisters. That's where you got to be. It helps, again, protect us from these lusts and from falling into sin. And it, you laugh at it. I remember when I was single being able to laugh when sin and temptation would come. It was a bunch of guys from church. A random girl gives you a number. You're just able to laugh. Say no, right? But if you're there alone, man, the enemy can come. And he can get in your mind. I remember one time we were there. It was Again, the Satan, he always works the same way. It was right after a men's study. We went to Krispy Kreme. Then we were sitting in checkers. Two random girls, they started talking to one of the guys, telling him to come over to the car, right? Got to be careful. But with all the brothers, hey, it's easy to fight the temptation, right? If now you got ten guys, that will beat you up. It makes it easy. It makes it fun, right? So again, are you with your brothers? Are you with your sisters? If you're going at this alone all the time... Something's off. Something's off. Verse two, it says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. Right? Yeah, you get that one evening that David arose from his bed. Now, some commentators say it was common for them to take naps in the Middle East at this time period. But there's just another warning here. Don't be waking up in the middle of the afternoon, right? Unless you're working a night shift, you shouldn't be waking up in the middle of the afternoon. Nothing good happens when you're sleeping in until one, two, three, four o'clock, right? Especially for the teens, but I know there's young adults, there's many people that struggle with that. So he wakes up in the mid, right in the evening. Then he walks on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. Now again, David he's not with his brothers. He's not doing what God has called him to do. He's not in the battle, he's in his comfort, he's sleeping in, he's being comfortable, he's bored, he's walking around, and that's when temptation comes. David's sin, it's his and his alone. We read that in James 1. However, what would have happened if Bathsheba was never bathing on that roof? What would have happened if he walked outside and there was no naked women just outside on the roof, right? What would have happened? What if Bathsheba would have acted modestly? That's a question for us. That's a question, especially for the ladies here. Again, David's sin is his and his entirely, but ba- there's no doubt that Bathsheba shared in this sin from the beginning to the middle to the end. She shared in each and one of these sins, and the whole progression of this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, it says that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Verse 10, that they would wear what is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Ladies, are you dressing as someone who professes godliness? Or are you someone that is dressing professing Instagram or TikTok or this famous girl that I follow online? Where do you get your your cues from? If it's from the world and the attention that the world brings, that's going to happen. We are our brothers and our sister's keeper. These verses, they, they hit me at my heart. First Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13, Paul, he's much more spiritual than I am. Paul says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. I don't know if I'm there yet, guys. I love you guys, but I don't know if I'm there yet, right? <laughs> he says, man, that if meat's going to cause his brother or sister to stumble, he'll, he'll give up on it. He'll just stop eating it. In Romans 14, verse 15, it says, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Again, this is food. This is something we need to eat. We're not talking about the freedom of the clothing we get to wear and the choices of it. So again, ladies, if you're wearing what you want, you say, Ah, it's, it's just their fault, it's just their problem. These verses are completely applicable to this. And again, dads, I don't know why, sometimes the dads think it's not on them. That it's just on the mom. The mom, hey mom, you decide what's modest and not modest. The mom does not have the mind that the guys have, okay? Dad, you're the one that has the mind that knows how the other guys think. That's our responsibility. You're the priest of the home. I'm the priest of the home. That's on me. That's on us. So again, don't give that responsibility to your wife your wife doesn't know how disgusting us guys are and the, minds that, the thoughts that happen, what happens in the barbershop like we started, right? That modesty, it's on us to represent within our home for both the men and for the women. Again, as women who profess godliness, there has to be a difference, a difference in what you wear. You don't have to dress like a nun. You don't have to dress right in a box, not at all. But man, there should be godliness attached to that. We go back to David, right? It all started off that he was walking around and he saw Bathsheba. Then it told us that he was, right, behold, behold, she was beautiful. He was watching her. He was able to take that second look and watch enough that he could realize, wow, she's absolutely gorgeous. And then he sent and inquired of her. Again, David's sin was not that he saw Bathsheba naked and bathing on the roof. David's sin was in beginning to behold her. And then acting on what he allowed to fester in his mind. That lure. That desire. He saw her and then he desired her. He saw how beautiful she was. Then he desired her in, in his heart. Then the idea popped into his mind. And then he bit the lure. He took the bait. He was enticed. And then he went after her. David Guzik he said, David's many wives did not satisfy his lust. Again, he had many wives right behind him. He could have gone to any of them if that was really the reason why he fell into the sin. But that's not why. This is because you can't satisfy the lust of the flesh. Because they are primarily rebellious assertions of self. It wasn't so much that David wanted Bathsheba. It was that he would not be satisfied with what God gave him. And really there is the root of sin. We're saying, God, I'm not satisfied with what you want to give me. God, I know you told me that I'm I'm a male. God, you told me I'm a female. Lord, I don't want what you gave me. I want what the world says. Lord, I know you gave me this one woman. I married her. She's been here for me. Lord, she's taking care of me. But I don't want her anymore. God, I don't want what you have for me. I want X, Y, or Z. Sin is going against God's will. It's not being satisfied with what God wants to give us. Again, family, ask yourself, are you content with what God has given you? Are you content with God's plan? Are you content with God's will? Are you content with God's word? Because if you're not, it's a dangerous slope. There's no breaks on that slope. Our lust, our sinful desire will never be satisfied. Again, all throughout our world, throughout our city, you literally have to fight the temptations and lusts and the way that people dress. Just is what it is. I think it was on Sunday, I was talking about just the craziness of what people wear at Walmart. Last Wednesday, I go to Walmart, grab some groceries, right? Grabbing milk, turkey, strawberries, normal stuff like that. I'm walking through the aisles. There's a woman at Walmart. I hope it's none of those ladies here, right? I didn't look, right? There's a woman walking in Walmart in her bra and her underwear and her robe. But her robe is completely open. And she's just walking around Walmart, getting I don't know what, right? Just saw her, look away, run away. Right? That's, that's my mentality. So again, you literally have to run away from it. But God, He's given us that power. God gives us a way out of every single temptation. And the less you feed it, the better it is. The less you look at those ads, the more you walk to the other side of the lingerie store, the more you look away, the more you stop watching those TV shows that start putting things in your mind, the easier that battle with sin will be. We must not dwell on it. That second look and that prolonged thought will kill. And for many of us, it's our thoughts. There are many here that struggle with fear, with anxiety, with depression. You didn't wake up one morning, you had a perfect breakfast, everything was okay, and then just the next second, you're just depressed. No, a thought popped into your mind, and you dwelled on it. And you kept thinking about, it, you kept thinking about, it, you kept thinking about, it, you kept thinking about. It. You worked yourself up and then you just continued to progress down this rabbit hole. And then you find yourself anxious. You find yourself depressed. You find yourself down. It starts off in our thoughts. Proverbs 25, verse 28, it tells us whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. We have to have rule over our own spirit. If not, the enemy and temptation and anyone and everyone is going to run around and do whatever they want to do with us and in our thought life. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Again, are you allowing those thoughts to fester in your mind? Don't do it. Throw them. Cry out to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Throw them to him. Forsake them. Get rid of them and cry out to the Lord. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verse 8. Again, scary verse for us. It says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Family, the scary thing about David is that all of this happens in the midst of him preparing the temple. Preparing supplies for the temple. It's not like David had just stopped going to church completely. Stopped his relationship with God. Stopped doing all the religious activities that he was doing. No, he was going and making sacrifices at the tabernacle of meeting. He was going and preparing supplies to build the temple. So again, for us in our hearts, we have to cry out to God and say, Lord, is this me? Am I drawing near to him with my mouth Am I here on Wednesdays and Sundays just so I continue to look religious, just so I look in the good graces of my parents or my friends don't look down on my walk with God, but yet my heart is far from God? We have to be careful because it happened to David, it happens to many pastors, and it can happen to us. Again, where does sin start? Let's just go to verse 17. It says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Jesus, he's talking about stomach acid in verse 17, right? But verse 18, he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, they come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Again, it goes back to James 1. It all begins in our heart. That's where all these things start. That's where they all, if we allow them to fester there, they will defile us and it'll come out and it will lead to sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, it tells us, in verse 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Family, we have to take those thoughts and we have to bring them to God's word. Okay, Lord, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that guy or that girl, X, Y, or Z. But Lord, what does your word say? What does your word say? What does your word say? Lord, this is what I want. This is what I desire. But God, what does your word say? Your word says every good and perfect gift, it's only from above. Lord, this is going against your word. Lord, this is sin. Lord, the wages of sin is death. I don't want death. I'm going to stay away from this. I have to take each thought captive. And some of us, we, we spoke about it earlier in Jeremiah, right? Our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? How can we know our heart better and better? God has given us an actual tool so that we would know our heart better and better. You guys know what that tool is? No? All right, let's go to Hebrews 4, verse 12. (laughs) Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4 verse 12, it tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Again, as we take in more and more of God's word, we will be able to discern our own thoughts and the own intents of our heart. Lord, why am I thinking about this? Lord, why do I desire this? The more we read God's word, the more it's going to reveal to us the true reason behind the things that we're thinking. Behind the lusts we have, the desires we have, the intentions, the things going on in our minds. And that's why it's so important for us to be in our word. Reading our Bible privately, on our own. I'm, I haven't heard of a single pastor that has fallen that it, it did not start off with them not having their devotional time with the Lord. Church, it just became about the show. It just became about just studying God's Word as a textbook to just give it to others. And it stopped discerning their thoughts and showing the intents of their heart. And the same is true with each and every one of us. It's a slope. It doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just happen right away. Have to be in God's word. Back to 2 Samuel 11. We'll finish this up quickly. So David, he sees her. That's not where the sin starts. Then he behelds her, right? He begins to really look at her. Notice how gorgeous she is. Then he calls, brings her over. He's abiding the lure. And then in verse 3, 2 Samuel 11, it says, And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And even here, God is giving David a way out of his sin. Eliam, her father was one of David's mighty men of valor. In 2 Samuel 23 verse 34, Eliam's father was Ahithophel, who was one of David's cabinet members and one of David's chief counselors. 2 Samuel 23 and 30, verse 34 and 2 Samuel 15 verse 12. If you need any scriptures, you can just come and ask me afterwards. Uriah the Hittite, he was one of David's mighty men of valor. He was one of the top 30 of David's mighty men of valor. He knew this man. He fought alongside with him. He led him in battle. He was loyal to him. He knew who he was. You're right, he wasn't even a common Jew. He was a Hittite, and yet his name meant Yahweh is my light. Yahweh is my fire. And where were the mighty men of valor? They were out fighting with Joab against the Amorites, where David was supposed to be. So we hear this, and we're cut to the heart, right? We're broken when we hear this. But when we're desiring sin, are we really thinking clearly? You see, David, he hears this and he doesn't get convicted. The only thing that David hears is that her husband and her father are away at war. He says, I, I can do this. That desire in his heart, he's already bid He's gone. He's going after it and now he's going for it. Again, we need to be open to God's word. We need to know he gives us a way out of each temptation. Sometimes it's like Joseph and it's just using your legs and just running out of the room. But he's given us a way out. Verse 4, Then David sent messengers, and he took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Shows us that she had her period beforehand. Then he laid with her, showing that it truly was his child. And verse 5, The woman conceived, so she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Again, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And David shows us here how we should not handle temptation. We shouldn't handle it alone. We shouldn't. We shouldn't handle it being away from our brothers and sisters or away from what God has called us to do. We need to run from it and flee from it. David is also going to show us how we should not handle once our sin is exposed. She's pregnant. He thought he could get away with it. But now the sin is there. So now the decision for him is either I take ownership over the consequences of my sin or I try to hide it. And every single one of us, we deal with that. I've sinned. I've made the wrong choice. And now there are consequences that have to be paid. I could either deal with them or I could try to run away. And this all depends on if we have a short-term view of sin or a long-term view of sin. You see, in the short term, sin is sweet. But in the end, it causes death. And sin that leads to cover up is just having sin and trying to add more sin on top of it to make things better. You're just prolonging the inevitable and now you're multiplying it. And I think each of us have been there, even as a kid, right? You try to cover up that you broke your brother's sister's toy, right? Is it just like one lie and it's like over and done with and now nobody ever found out? No, it just grows and it grows and it grows and then you have the stress and then I forget the name of that poem right and you're hearing the, the dull heart beating in, the, in your room right and you're freaking out and you just, you just break in front of your parents. And It's the same thing with sin. It's the same thing with cover up. The longer we keep it up it only makes things worse. I encourage you if you've sinned recently if you've messed up take ownership over those consequences and take those consequences Now. Don't just try to keep kicking it down the road saying, oh, I'll deal with it later, I'll deal with it later, I'll deal with it. No, take ownership over our sins and over our consequences now. Numbers 32 verse 23, it says, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure that your sin will find you out. Your sin's always going to find you out, especially if you're a son or daughter of the Lord. Because He loves you. He loves you too much. He knows that sin causes death. And He loves you so much, He doesn't want death in your life. So He's going to discipline you. He's going to try to do it privately. But if you prolong it, if you try to hide it, wish you had time to go through Proverbs and Psalms, it's all going to be shown. The light's going to shine on it. What does David do? He brings his wife Out of the battle, out of the war, he's a young man. He brings him, he gives him a ton of food, giving him the king's blessing. And he says, here's all this meat, here's all this food. Go home to your wife and just spend some time with her, right? He's thinking he's been away at war. Of course, he's going to see his wife. He's going to be blessed. He's going to want to have intimacy with her. But what does Uriah do in verse 9? Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And he did not go down to his house. Right, David goes to bed that night, he says, I covered this up, I'm good. But then he opens his door and he almost hits Uriah, right? What are you doing here, man? And right here again, we think this would cut David to the heart. Verse 10: So David saying, Uriah did, did not go down to his house. And David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And David, Uriah said to David, The Ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Again, you look at Uriah and the character he had. He loved the Lord and the men that he was fighting with to the point that he would not sleep with his own wife. David... He's so far gone that he's willing to sleep with another man's wife and he has no problems with it whatsoever. We have to be careful that we're keeping up with our walk and relationship with the Lord. Sin will only blind us. Sin will only blind us. So then David, he tries to get him drunk. Then he says, okay, I'm going to get him drunk and then I'll send him home. He won't realize everything that's happening and then he'll spend some time. He'll sleep with his wife. But then Uriah, once again, he sleeps outside the king's door. So what does David do? David knows Uriah's character is so high that David sends a death note, Uriah's death note in his hand to give to Joab. That's how much David trusted in Uriah's character. That's how much Uriah trusted in David. Again, up to this point, we don't see a glaring weakness in David besides these wives. So again, we have to look in our own lives. We're being reminded sin has slain many other men and many other women stronger and greater than us. Don't allow your pride and your ego to think, I got this. I used to struggle with this every single day, but I'm never going to struggle with this again, right? Have to be so careful with this. Uriah, he finally dies. Other men die as well. So now David's sin is multiplying. Another thing to know how sin blinds us, David was willing for another man to raise his own son for the rest of his life. He was hiding his family. He was willing to allow Bathsheba to have to deal with that every single day. Because that's what happens. We sin and then we don't want the consequences of it. But that's not an option. The consequences will always come. The wages of sin is always death. Again, family, may that be embedded in our heart. David, he thinks he gets away with it. Uriah ends up dying. Then verse 26, it tells us, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Again, David thought he got away with it. Maybe that's you here tonight. You've sinned, and you thought you've gotten away with it. And you've just covered it up. Remember, family, the judge, the one that's going to judge all of our actions, he sees everything. He sees our heart, the reason why we do certain things. And if it displeases him, that's the only thing that matters. Again, Numbers 32, verse 23, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So what do we do with all this? We just feel bad about ourselves and just everybody just walk out of here like this tonight, right? No. James chapter 5, verse 16, it tells us to confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 1 John 1, verse 9, it says if we confess our sins, not just saying sorry, saying, Lord, forgive me. That's so important. We have to teach our kids that. Don't just say sorry. Ask for forgiveness because you've sinned. You've messed up. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, family, that's how we move forward from here. Maybe we have to build up some more walls. Maybe we have to feed our our spirit more. We have to starve out some certain things of the flesh. we got to cut out some habits. But if there's any of us here that we've sinned, man, God bless you. If there's any of us here that we've sinned, Man, you got to cry out to the Lord. You got to confess the Lord. Got to confess to your brothers and sisters. And you'll find out many of your brothers and sisters, they struggled with the same things. They fought the same battles. They've had to deal with the same lust. They have the same scar from the hook that they bit, right? And they're able to say, Man, I've been there, I've done that, but, but look what the, Lord, what the Lord has done for me. Look at all that the Lord has done for me. He's forgiven me. And I've I've had the taste of the consequences, right? There's some people we know, they went to sin and they have to taste the consequences of it every single day for the rest of their life. Again, we have to be prepared. Lord, if you could dumb down the consequences, great. But if not, Lord, fellowship with you is more than worth it. So again, I encourage you, don't give up on that fellowship with God. If you've been distant because of your sin, the only way to come back to him is to lay those sins at his feet confess those sins to the lord and to one another so the worship team can come up the pastors can come up and we will close in song again the pastors they're going to be up front for prayer if you come up for prayer people aren't going to think you're the worst person ever or that you're committing adultery or doing x y or z you're just coming up to get right with the lord again i encourage you don't lay on that sin any longer come up front And get right with the Lord. And then God's word also tells us that we should confess our sins to whoever we've sinned against. Again, our sin is not just in a vacuum. It affects everyone around us. But hey, let's pray. Lord, we just love you, God. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that... Lord, I think of how you tell Peter, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone, Lord? How many times should I forgive them, Lord? Lord. It's, um, Lord, the perfect amount, Lord, it's, it's unending, Lord. Your forgiveness, your mercies, Lord, they are new every morning, Lord. Great is your faithfulness, God. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers, my sisters, Lord. Maybe they're being condemned by Satan, saying, you've said you're sorry about this before. You've confessed this before, and yet you're in the same place. Nothing is going to change. Lord, I pray that they would be reminded, Lord, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise So, Lord, I pray for any of us here, Lord, if we've fallen into sin, Lord, if we've bitten that lure, Lord, we've gone after those sinful desires in our heart, Lord. Again, Lord, may we come up this morning, this evening, Lord, morning, evening, all the time, God, coming up to you, Lord, and just confessing our sins, Lord. May we realize that true peace in this life can only come when we are right with you, Lord. So, Lord, again, do that work within us, Lord. May we confess those sins, both great and small, in our mind, Lord. God, I pray that you'd convict us to a greater level, Lord, that we would want to be holy as you are holy, Lord. Again, our lifestyles, Lord, our hobbies, our choices, our, the things we do in our free time, Lord. May we be seeking you, asking you, Lord, is this pleasing in your sight? So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand Again, if you need prayer, come up front to pray. Maybe you have a prodigal right now. You have maybe a married prodigal or a son or daughter that's a prodigal. Maybe your parents, they're the ones that are prodigals. Man, I encourage you to come up front and pray with one of the pastors. And here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. And here's my heart, Lord.